0: This morning we will be in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 29. This passage that we've come to this morning is truly one of the most awful passages in all of Scripture. And I mean awful like in the old way. It is awe-inspiring. It is amazing. The wickedness that is seen in Sodom is such that the judgment of that place seems inevitable... But the most shocking thing about this passage to me is not that the Lord destroys Sodom. The shocking thing about this passage is how long he waited to do it. And what is also shocking is the patience that the Lord shows to Lot and to his family. So this passage is extremely disturbing because it shows to us the judgment of God and how very nearly Lot himself did not escape. In fact, we will find that his wife did not escape. And it reveals to us what happens when people reject the love of God and the love of neighbor, as we read about today with Jesus and the lawyer. And remember that you've probably heard this story many times. We're not on the outside of Sodom looking in. Over and over again, throughout the prophets and throughout the scriptures, the Lord says that if he had not left a remnant, we would have become as Sodom and Gomorrah. We are the people under the threat of judgment. We are the people upon whom God's wrath could righteously fall. The beauty of this passage is that Lot is rescued. So remember that as we read this, we're not reading about those people. We are those people. We are the people upon whom the fire of God would fall, were it not for the mercy of God. So let's begin reading in Genesis 19:1 through 29. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside with him and entered his house. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came with you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the uh, the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you And do to them as you please. Only do not do anything to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, "Up, Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, "'Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city.' But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, "'Escape for your life.' Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your side, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city is called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back. She became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord... ...and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley... ...and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham... ...and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities... ...in which Lot had lived. The destruction and judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. The first thing we need to notice here in this passage... ...is the hospitality of Lot. Two angels, these two angels we know, had just come from Abraham... ...and when they had come and shown up at Abraham's house, what did Abraham do? Abraham went out, greeted them, fell on his face... ...invited them to eat and to rest themselves in the shade of his tree... And Lot, in this regard, is much like his uncle. He is sitting in the gate. And sitting in the gate is more... uh, There's more to it maybe than you might think at first reading. Sitting in the gate, that is where in the ancient days men of prominence sat. In fact, uh, if you go through and you read through the book of Judges and and the, the narratives of Israel, you'll find that the gate is where folks gathered for judgment, to settle accounts... ...for people to figure out who was buying land, who was going to receive land. These people bore witness to that. This is where the judgment and councils took place in the ancient world. So Lot was sitting there in a prominent place in the gate... ...maybe waiting for strangers. Maybe he was be- bore witness to legal transactions that happened there. He was acting as a man of prominence. And when the, hosp- the strangers come in the gate, he immediately begs them to come to his house. He falls on his face before them and offers them water for their feet. He's going to wash their feet like a servant. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, we know, at the Last Supper. And he offers them food. And the Bible says that he bakes them, makes them a feast. So he didn't spare any expense. But if you notice the words of Lot and how strongly he pressed them to come to his house, Lot knew something was terribly wrong in Sodom. They at first refuse him, no, we're going to spend the night in the square. And Lot says, Please, you can come to my house and stay, and then you can rise up early in the morning and you can get out of here. Lot knows that these men are not safe there in Sodom, and so he brings them into his house under the hospitality of his roof. He acted like his uncle. And we know that, as I read this morning from Luke, that Jesus said half the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as ourself. And who is our neighbor? And how shall we show him our love? That's the question. Who is our neighbor? How do we show them our love? How do Abraham and Lot exemplify this behavior? And how do the people of Sodom do the opposite of that? In Leviticus 19.34, the Bible says this. This is interesting that both Abraham and Lot are keeping the law of God before it's given. Moses has not been born for over 400 years, and yet both Abraham and Lot, by faith, show the heart of God. Leviticus 19.34, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, You shall love him as yourself. Sound familiar? Do good to the native. Do good to the sojourner. Love him as yourself. This is where Jesus picks up from the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here is in the context of treating the stranger in your land as the native. And that's what Lot does when the angels come, he doesn't know that they're angels. Deuteronomy ten nineteen, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 10, 19. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. In other words, you should not regard wealth on either side of the scale in judgment. Judge in righteousness. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord... You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor... ...lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take advantage or bear a grudge... ...against the sons of your people... ...but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus nineteen fifteen through 18. And then we look at Jesus' words. Who is my neighbor? And he says, look, a guy was going up to Jerusalem. He fell in amongst robbers. The priests and the Levites passed by on the other side... ...but the Samaritan, the foreigner, took care of him. Who was his neighbor? the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy. And so this passage, these passages of Sodom and Gomorrah are about so much more than just these wicked people showing up outside the door of Lot's house. We are learning how to show love as people should show love in the kingdom of God. Abraham offering them food, Lot offering them food to take care of them show hospitality. And how is it contrasted with wickedness being inhospitable to others? And so here is the wickedness of Sodom. Lot brings them into his house. He makes them a feast. And all of a sudden, these men show up. Lot shows us his character, and then the men of Sodom show us theirs. Lot cooks a feast, and the people of Sodom form a rape gang. It's horrible. There's no other way to put it. It's embarrassing to even say. But that is what is going on. When they say, bring these men out that we can know them, they didn't mean, hey, we want to introduce ourselves. Lot's defense of the strangers is commendable, but his offer of his daughters is indefensible. He has as the highest priority to take care of the men who'd come under his roof. Perhaps he thought the offer was so scandalous that they wouldn't take it, but they show their true colors. They had no intention whatsoever of doing anything but having their depravity and their fun. And I want to be crystal clear on something here in this passage because the Bible is clear elsewhere about it. The greatest sin of Sodom was not simply that they wanted to have homosexual relations with the two strangers. That's one thing. We believe that all sexual intercourse outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sinful. But this is on a whole other scale, brothers and sisters. That's not just that. This is rape and utter debauchery. It's horror that's going on there. This is the opposite of being hospitable to strangers, to say the least. So I want to read to you something very interesting from the prophet Ezekiel because he speaks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want you to listen to this because you would think that when Ezekiel talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, this would be the sin that he talks about, but it's not. And so Ezekiel's words help us understand everything that's going on in Sodom and it helps it become more applicable to us. Here's... The interesting thing, of course you want to hear it. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. You ready? This is what made the Lord angry. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. Let me read that again. This is the sin of your sister Sodom and her daughters. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food. Prosperous ease. But did not aid the poor and needy. Now, is that what you took from Genesis 19, when we heard the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, was the first thing that went in your mind is, the reason they're doing this is because they're proud, have prosperous ease, and excess of food. The problem with Sodom and Gomorrah is they didn't care for the poor, they did not care for the needy, they did not care for the stranger that sojourned among them. And it led them to heinous, despicable acts. Pride prosperous ease, not aiding the poor and needy. So the temptation, I think, when we read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is to see them at their worst and say, well, this is the one thing that God was judging them for. No, this is not why God came to Sodom in the first place. He had heard from the poor and needy that they cried out day and night and were not receiving the help that they should have received from the people of Sodom. They were to care for the poor and the needy in their midst. And because they didn't care about other peoples, and only for their own selfish desires, God rained down fire from heaven and consumed them. And so we read about this shocking wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we think, this must have been the worst place that ever was. But the Lord doesn't say that. And He doesn't say those people in Sodom. When He speaks to the prophet, He says, Your sister, Sodom. Your sister. See, Israel had the temptation perhaps that we have. They would read the stories here in Abraham and Lot, and they would read about Sodom, and they would say, that's those people, and this is us. And when the prophet of God speaks to Ezekiel, he says, your sister. Makes it familial, makes it relational. How many times in the Bible do we have to hear over and over again that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves and that we... Are our brother's keeper? What was the first sin ever? Well, it was eating of the fruit. But there was the one that come right after that. Cain goes out in the field, talks to his brother Abel, rises up and murders him. And God says, where's your brother Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? Over and over and over again. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've spoken well, that's right. Who's your neighbor? Anybody needs your help is your neighbor. If the gospel of Jesus Christ does not transform our hearts so much that we love others as Christ has loved us, we have not yet understood the gospel at all. 1 John says, He who says he loves God but does not love his brother does not love God. Why? Because if you say you love God whom you've not seen, and you hate your brother who you have seen, you don't know God. There is so much confusion in the church today about the idea of social justice. I'm going to get... You know what? If I preached and you never got upset at me, I would be a lousy preacher. Social justice. Are we for social justice? We're for justice. (laughs) Social, I don't even know why we need that adjective. We're for justice. Justice is not the foundation of the gospel. It is a result of the gospel. If you don't care about your neighbor, if you don't care about the poor and needy, if you don't care about the guy who's been robbed and beaten and bleeding on the side of the road, you don't know Jesus. The gospel hasn't changed your heart. We should care. Not just because God told us to, but because that's who we are. How can I say that? Because Abraham and Lot did, and they didn't have the law yet. We should be very upset at Cain when he says, Am I my brother's keeper? Every Christian on earth says, Yes, we are. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was in need, I was thirsty, and you gave me water. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you without food? I tell you, when you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Do you think that Jesus is going to accept excuses for us not to love others? This is what happened to Sodom. They were proud. They had prosperous ease. They had excess of food, but they did not help the poor and needy. And that incensed the heart of God. And he sent his angels down there. And then they did this abomination. And God was like, Lot, get your family, get your wife, get your daughters, and get out of here. We're fixing to burn it down. Is this kind of wickedness that we see in Sodom, is it shocking or unusual? No, over again. In the prophets, he says, if I had not left you a remnant, if I had not left you a witness, you would become as Sodom and Gomorrah, 1915 and 1923. The Ottoman Empire slaughtered between 275,000 and 750,000 Assyrians... ...750,000 Greeks and 1.5 million Armenians... 1971 in Bangladesh, they killed 3 million Bengali Hindus, 20% of the people group's population. 1994 in Rwanda, 1 million people were killed. 70% of the Tutsi tribe was wiped out in a week. One third of the Twa, 20% of the country's entire population was murdered. 1975 to 1979, 3 million were killed in the Cambodian genocide. The USSR starved to death between 2 and 7.5 million Ukrainians... ...on purpose between 1932 and 1933, and 1.75 million Kazakhs. And of course, we have the Holocaust, which killed between 5 to 17 million people... ...55% of them being Jews... When the settlers arrived in America, in the United States, there were 10 million Native Americans living on this continent. By 1900, there were (laughs) 300,000. And look, that's the short list. That's the short list. This place is foaming with madness and murder and pride and prosperous ease and comfort and not caring for the poor and the needy. There is a reason that God will judge the earth with fire. Some really, really bad things have been done and continue to be done on this earth. And there is a kind of pride. There is a kind of pride that we get swept up into, a kind of nationalism for a country. And this is not unique to the United States. It's all over. And we begin to forget that our allegiance... It's not to this land, but the kingdom to come. And there's a struggle. that goes on inside your heart and mine. What is right? What is wrong? And let me tell you, in times like that, you better get in here so that you'll wind up like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who resisted the Nazis and not like those evangelicals when the Jews were outside their church in a train screaming for water that they just sang louder. Dear God, that happened and continues to happen to this day. There is an ugliness in the land, a hatefulness that is not the love of neighbor. And we need our hearts to be changed to see. We are kingdom people who reach out hands to every tongue and tribe and nation and not shields for any worldly government. So read the word, be changed by it. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is... Not so far off. Yes, there is sexual immorality here of the grossest kind. But that's not all that's going on there. And that's how they get to that place. That's how we get to that place. When the foundations of righteousness are overthrown, the world becomes crazy. Then, then, we are like the city on the hill. We are like the light that should not be hid under a bushel let's talk about the Lord and not just the wickedness of mankind shall we he is merciful Abraham said what if there's think about this now God knows what's going on in Sodom before Abraham ever prayed he knows this kind of wickedness is there Abraham says, what about if there's 50 there? And God sees the wickedness of Sodom, a stench to his nostrils, and he says, if there are 50 there, I won't destroy the place. Behold the mercy of God. What if there's 45? 45, I won't do it. For 40, I will spare. What about 30? For 30, I will spare the place. For 20, I will spare. For 10, I will spare. But he did not find them there. So God comes, these angels come to Lot and they say, Lot, it's over. Get your wife, get your daughters, get your sons-in-law and get out of here. So he goes to his sons-in-law and he says, Hey, listen, we got to get out of here. God's fixing to destroy this place. And they laughed. They laughed at him. So he goes home and the Bible says that he lingered. I don't know if he was packing too much stuff. I don't know if he was just afraid to leave. I don't know if he lost his mind because he was scared to death. I don't know what it was, but it says he lingered. And the angel said, Get out of here. Still he lingered. This is the mercy of God. They seized Lot and his daughters and his wife by the hands and drugged them out of Sodom. And when they got them outside of the city, they said, Don't look back. Don't stop running, basically. Do not stop running. Run as fast as you can. Get to the hills. So, you won't be swept away in the wrath of God. And Lot says, I can't run that far. Lord, have mercy. Let me get to this, this one little city here. It's just a little busy city. Can I go there? And they say, Okay, you can go there. We won't destroy that city for your sake. And he makes it by daybreak. And it says here that Lot's wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. That doesn't mean that she just looked back there and saw the judgment and was killed. It means that she lingered. It says Lot's wife who was behind. She was, she was blown up in the desolation that happened to Sodom and Gomorrah... ...because she didn't run away as she was instructed. And so she was destroyed along with that. She didn't listen to the judgment that was coming. So God is kind to Lot, seized and dragged him out and saved him and his daughters. They are granted the city of Zoar because he prayed for that. And God is being very merciful to Lot and to his family. They are told not to look back. I want you to look, though, and who can look. It's Abraham. So it says that they can't look back, and when she does, she's turned to a pillar of salt. But in verse 23 it says, The sun had ridden on the earth when... Lot came out to Zoar. Verse 26 his, Lot's wife behind him looked back. She became a pillar of salt. But Abraham. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and looked down toward the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked. Behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. The righteousness see the justice of God. The Word of God says in the book of Revelation that when those who are in hell are in torment, that the smoke of their torment rises like a smoke of a furnace before the throne forever and ever. Directly taking the language here from Genesis, that the wickedness that fell, the judgment that fell on the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah will fall on those who will not have Christ forever and ever, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, just like this smoking furnace in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the good news at the end of this story, even though it's quite a horror story, is this. God is being merciful this morning. Very merciful. He could sweep away the world with just a thought. And not only could He do it, if you could see what God sees every day, you would wonder why he doesn't. If you could see what was going on in the world, in the hearts of men and women around the world, the people who were being put into trafficking, people who were uh, breaking laws through the drug trade, ruining lives of others, if you could see the infidelity that went on in homes, if you could see what was going on in so much wickedness in this world, every day, The oppression of the poor. Every day, the needy being overlooked. Every day, sin being committed on colossal scales. If you could see what God sees, you would not wonder about why isn't God being nicer. You would wonder why hasn't God destroyed this place already. And if you really got introspective, and you looked at your own heart, And what went on there? Your next question would be, why hasn't he destroyed me? I always think about uh, John Bunyan who who, uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And he was a Baptist pastor also. And he, he stayed in prison for, I forgot how many years, 20, I think, or so, because he preached the gospel without a license and refused to repent and recant of that. He said that there is enough sin in my sweetest prayer, to damn the world to hell. (laughs) That is someone who has come face to face with the reality of who they are. That's someone who has looked in the perfect law of God and found themselves wanting and knowing that the justice and judgment of God, when people say, hell is too terrible, hell is too bad, there's no such thing as hell, how could God send somebody into an eternity forever to burn? They haven't seen what God has seen. They do not know what the rejection of the good God leads to in a person's heart. God is being merciful to us this morning because He has not swept away the world in judgment. God is being merciful to us because some of us here are still not in Christ. You are not saved. You have not repented. You have not embraced Christ. And yet for one more day, God holds out and shows mercy on you. And what we deserve is to be swept away. There will be no difference in the wicked between Sodom and Gomorrah and those who are not in Christ. There will be no difference. And when God displays to the world His justice and righteousness and says, this is why I have judged the earth, every single saint of God will say yes and amen, and every single knee will bow, and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He does no wrong. We are dust. Who are we to speak back to the living God? Oh, brothers and sisters, we are proud. We need to be humbled by the grace of God. And we need to count ourselves as less worthy of honor than others. We need to be serving others. We need to be looking to help and not to hurt. At all times we are the people of mercy. When we see the strangers we are like those men Abraham and Lot who bowed their face to the ground and said, hey, please come into my house and eat with me. Isn't that what our Lord did? Remember the Pharisees? This is what they looked like when they were mad at Jesus, I imagine. Look at that guy. He goes in there and eats with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. You know what their problem was? They were proud. They had prosperous ease. They had excess of food. And they did not care about the poor and needy. But Jesus did. And he ate with them. And he would eat with you. Come to Christ today again. Every one of you, come to Christ, myself included, every day. I need for him to teach me how to be hospitable to others, not be proud, but humble. Let's pray.